Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. This podcast tells the stories of our members. Hello, I'm Shara Dibley from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. You're listening to the third episode of our mini-series on research partnerships in Southeast Asia. Today, I'll be speaking with Associate Professor Jeff Nielsen from the School of Geosciences about a new project that he's established in Vietnam, and we'll be discussing how he's gone about doing this in the midst of the global pandemic. Jeff's research focuses on economic geography, environmental governance, and rural development in Southeast Asia with a specific expertise on Indonesia. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Now, you're an expert on Indonesia, you speak the language, you've lived and worked there, you have a long history of collaborative research in that country, but today we're actually going to talk about a project you've just started in Vietnam. But before we get into the details of that project, I was hoping you could give me a sense of how common it is for geographers to work in partnership when they do research on Southeast Asia or other countries in the world. Um, I guess... Geographers like to consider ourselves field-based researchers, I guess, so doing field work, staying within communities, working with participants, if you like, in our research has always been a key part of what we do. Um, and I think that's certainly in our, in our school anyway, where we've had a long history of, of engagement with countries in the Pacific, with those in mainland Southeast Asia and island Southeast Asia as well. And I think... Developing partnerships with local universities has always been, I guess, key of, of what we do. I know I, I sort of, not only in research activities, but also student learning activities, field schools, where we partner with, with local universities and students go into to the field to do field work activities together. Yes, yeah, so I guess collaboration has certainly always been a key part of what we like to think that we do as geographers, yeah. Okay, so you'd sort of say that partnership is your modus operandi as a researcher, or, or is it you know, one way you do research and then you also do research independently? That's a good question. I mean, I guess there's that aspect of, of our discipline, which perhaps is informed as well by ethnographic approaches or anthropological approaches, where there's something of the sole researcher about the approach, where you go and you stay in a village yourself, you immerse yourself. It's about your perspective on the, on the reality that you're, being, that you're observing, if you like, and that's always been very important, which then results also in sole author publications often. Um, so some, there's that aspect, I guess, to the discipline. But there's also one of, uh, I guess, of, of partnership as well. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an inherent part to being a geographer, no. Now, when it comes to those parts of your research where you work in, uh, in partnership with people in the region, what are the principles and values that drive your approach? Um, well, I guess uh, try to start by being on the same page, I guess. Um, so often we'll we'll share our perspectives or start off with reading-based activities where we share what some of the major influences on our ways of thinking to make sure we're sort of we're coming to the research problem um, from the same page. Also, I guess, trying to maintain levels of communication throughout the, both the research design phase as well as the implementation of the research. One of the things I'm always curious about talking about partnership is where people learn to do it. Yeah, um... I don't know. My, my own experience was learning by doing, I suppose, and sort of, you know, jumping into an honours project 20-odd years ago and sort of just going into the highlands of Sulawesi and trying to work it out myself. Um, I don't know. I think um, being thrown in the deep end like that was helpful in some ways, although some guidance might have been helpful. And so I've certainly tried to take that forward through the providing opportunities for students, undergraduate students and postgraduate students now, 
to engage in field-based learning activities, which are often done in partnership with universities, such as the University of Indonesia, um, as a way of sort of yeah, providing the foundations for, for doing engaged participatory research. So let's talk a little more about this project in Vietnam. Can you tell us a little about what it is and what you're aiming to do? Yeah, so, so Vietnam's gone through this amazing transformation after the last 20, 30 years. Yeah? Um, not only is it industrializing rapidly, um, it's also a major, major world exporter of some agricultural commodities, commodities such as coffee um, in the central highlands and pepper. So Vietnam's the largest exporter of both those commodities, or robusta coffee and the black pepper. Um, and that's all. That's totally transforming life in the central highlands. So this project is a, is a large collaborative research project. It involves something like 30 or 40 different researchers from seven or eight different institutions uh, in Vietnam, in Australia, as well as CIRAD, the, the French research organization. Um, and it's all about trying to, trying to find some solutions, really, to, some, to the challenges that's facing agricultural production in that region. So you've, you've got a history of of high levels of, of fertilizer use, probably excessive extraction of groundwaters, really serious sustainability challenges. Um, and you've also got a situation where uh, levels of poverty, particularly amongst the minority ethnic groups in the Central Highlands, are still quite high. So anyway, so we're bringing this multidisciplinary project together to try to yeah, identify some solutions to some of the challenges there. And what's your role specifically in the project? Yeah, so I'm trying to understand processes of agrarian change that have occurred within within the highlands um, and then what role the production of pepper and coffee in particular plays within broader livelihood strategies so on the one hand it's trying to understand what the future might be for the highlands as a commodity source region and it's also trying to understand how livelihoods are responding to different interventions by large pepper and coffee companies so you've got a situation where large multinational companies are very actively involved in promoting their ideas of sustainability and development in the highlands because of its importance as a source region. And so I'm trying to understand the impacts, implications of that on these processes of agrarian change. And so are you working with someone or a particular institution in trying to answer this question? Yeah, so I'm working with a number of partners. One of the main lead organisation is ICRAF, the World Agroforestry Centre, which has a, an office in Hanoi. Um, and they're, lead, they're leading the project, and some of the researchers there will be my key partners. Um, then within the Central Highlands itself, there's Tai Nguyen University, um, as well as the Western Agricultural Highlands Development Institute, which also has a number of, of researchers. So they're, they're the key partners that I'm going to be working with on the project. So did you choose these people in particular? Did you have a pre-existing relationship, or how did these relationships come about? It was really led by ICRAF. Um, which has, as I say, being based in Vietnam, they've already got a number of partners, organisations they work with on other projects, and I was sort of invited to join the project. They had already had working relationships with universities um, in, in, in the Central Highlands. And so, I, I, to be honest, I wasn't really involved in selecting partners. It was a matter of me coming to the project, and then these, these were the obvious partners to be working with, and so it's just it's rolled from there. And is this a way of working with other people um, something you've done before or are you usually directing or choosing the partners? And um, Yeah, so I'm sort of I'm in the, the last stage of a large six-year research project um, in Indonesia and that was one where I was the project leader and I was more involved in choosing partners. Um, so, yeah, so in, in that way it's, it's a little bit different but I guess not having the, the same level of 
history and experience of doing research in Vietnam, it would also have been very difficult for me to identify partners uh, on my own. So in some ways, it's a good way of coming into a, a new field site, you know, working with an institution that has pre-existing relationships and that's helped facilitate the relationships that you are now building. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It would, would have been very difficult otherwise. So how far along are you in the project? So far, I've been up to Vietnam twice on the project. So it's about 12 months in. The last time I was there was in March. Uh, well, it was actually just as the virus was starting to spread. But yeah, since then, obviously, travel hasn't been possible. Um, and so uh, yeah, very much in the initial stages of what we're hoping is going to be a four or five year research project. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? To have to kind of start a project in a new field site with new partners um, and then not being able to travel over and, you know, probably do some of that relationship building work that you would have been able to do otherwise. So maybe we could talk a little more about this. How, how has COVID and the restrictions on travel changed the way that you are building the relationships with your partners? Yeah, um, it certainly has its own set of challenges. Um, because you're sharing a meal with people, uh, you know, going all the personal interactions are all, all, all so important at those, particularly at those early stages um, of a research project. And so, whilst there was a little bit of that that I was managed to do prior to COVID, um, it has been a challenge. Um, and so, I guess we've, like everyone else, have had then to move to alternative ways of communicating and that have that don't involve travel and of course i think probably goes most of the most of the research team here they weren't so used to, to engaging via skype and zoom and whatnot and we've all been pushed into that despite the challenges i think there's sort of there's almost an aspect of everyone's increasing familiarity with that has meant that the distance between uh, myself in sydney and research partners in 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 the central highlands or in, in hanoi is not quite as far as it might otherwise be. If we're only depending on physical travel to communicate, then that's also obviously has its limitations. Whereas I think we've all been pushed, encouraged to communicate by alternative ways. And that in a, in a way has probably been a good thing. So are you communicating more than you would have if you could travel over there? I think so. I think so. I think that sort of because at the moment there's no there's no time where we can look with any certainty to travel in the future. And so whereas I, I think in other circumstances you'd put off things and say, okay, I'll do that. I'll be traveling there in Feb February anyway. I'll just put off until then to do it. Whereas that, that's not in sight. And so I think sort of a number of problems, challenges are being solved remotely, Yeah, which, which I think is a good thing. I think it's opened a lot of our eyes about the possibilities as well of remote communication. Interesting. So some unexpected benefits there. Um, now, I understand you're also learning Vietnamese. Have you been able to, I don't know, use this more frequent communication to practice some of that? Or, you know, have you been able to do some of that informal connecting through Zoom and through this additional language stuff? Yeah, that's right. So probably that might be another example where I've been pushed to an online form of learning as well. And so, yeah, I've been doing language lessons with a, a, a language school that's based in Hanoi, um, and we're able to have weekly Zoom calls and, and tuition, um, which I found really, it's been fantastic making slow progress, but getting there. And I guess, once again, sort of that, yeah, that willingness to engage in, in online learning has also been a benefit to me. So looking forward, you were, you were saying before that there's no clear date when you'll be able to travel there. So how are you imagining these relationships playing out over, say, the next 12 months? Well, first of all, internal travel within Vietnam is relatively free at the moment. Um, so a bunch of our partners are based in the Highlands and a bunch are based in Hanoi. And, and 
those in Hanoi are able to travel relatively easily to the highlands. So that has meant that the activities as such have been able to, to commence, uh, at least setting up some of, the, some of the initial research activities. At some point, I guess, to do the sorts of research that I like to do, which involves extended stays in village, village areas, village environments, talking to people, is it's going to require field work at some point. Um, but up until up until then, I think the, we're all depending a lot more on our, on our partners, and so it sort of brings to the surface the importance of relationship building even more so than might otherwise be the case. We're also arranging a series of, I guess, of reading-based discussion groups with the research partners there to make sure we're all on the, on the same page. So that'll be the same as we're doing here with Zoom-based tutorials. I guess I'll be setting that up in the new year. Would you be doing sort of reading groups if you were travelling over there or is that something you're, that's more possible? Yeah, it's funny that. So I think that otherwise I probably would have organised a, a workshop would have probably been my approach otherwise. You know, and okay, we set aside a day, there'd be presentations, maybe some readings beforehand which we then discuss. Whereas in what, what we're planning here is to have sort of, you know, one meeting every fortnight um, discussion group, which I think is probably, we'll see how it goes, but which I think is probably more effective. It allows people more time to digest the readings and to reflect on them rather than the sort of the, the one big workshop. Has your role in the project changed as a result of not being able to travel? Not really. Not, not, no, I mean, we're, we're, as I say, at the moment, the research design is still based around an assumption that travel will resume towards the end of 2021, early 2022. And so certain activities have been delayed, um, but I don't think my, my role has changed fundamentally, no. One of the things that seems to be happening with a lot of people is the fact that you can't travel means that you have to let go of maybe doing some of the things that you would be doing if you traveled there. And that can affect your relationships as well and also affect the way the projects go. Has that been your experience yeah, yeah and i guess i can reflect as well a bit on on the changing nature of the research in indonesia as well since covid you know the fact that you can't go and do the research there yourself means that you're sharing research responsibilities perhaps a lot more than i might have in the past in the past i would have said okay i'll wait for my trip then i'll go there and i'll do task a um, because i can't do that i'm sort of having to talk more with my partners um and i guess more willing to let go of that and um i think that's probably been a good learning experience as well in sort of giving greater levels of responsibility. Certainly my experience in Indonesia has been that some of my partners have really demonstrated their high, high, high levels of capacity to, to actually complete research that I might have in the past been more, more protective over, that's something I thought I needed to do. And so it's becoming, I think, more increasingly clear that um, perhaps we can, we can let go a little bit more in that regard and hopefully that was going to, in the longer term, might lead to sort of more genuine research partnerships and more productive collaboration. There are other people who are also probably in a similar situation. We definitely know that there are researchers in our networks who are trying to get new projects up and running in Southeast Asia with limited possibility of traveling. Do you have any tips for establishing or maintaining relationships during this time? Obviously, it's really important to maintain communications um, in, in any way you can and, and pr- or preferably in whatever form your partners feel most comfortable communicating in, whether, whether that's WhatsApp groups or, or, or whether it's Zoom or, or email or whatever it might be. Um, and I guess the other thing I've been trying to do is to, to engage in ways that aren't, aren't so formal or demanding. I don't know, sometimes I, I felt I would feel I'd fall into a situation where I'd only contact partners when we needed something and, and that sort of put a lot of pressure on the communication. So I guess what I'm trying to do is 
maintain communications about less important aspects that are quite easy to respond to um, and that sort of allows some sort of ongoing dialogue to be maintained. So just keeping that relationship kind of how you would in real life, you know, not just going up to people and asking them how they're going with their work. Um, All right. Well, any other observations, any other final observations about how this experience in Vietnam compares, say, to some of your partnership experiences in Indonesia? Having done research in Indonesia for for an extended period, and I sort of feel feel very comfortable doing research there, comfortable in in developing new relationships, comfortable in, in communicating. So all that is sort of is more challenging in in, in a new environment. Um, although the I don't know certainly the attempts to try to develop language skills are certainly appreciated, and it's something I'd certainly recommending anyone to do uh, when developing new research initiatives in Southeast Asia and and elsewhere. And there may even be an, an opportunity made available to us now by the lack of travel allows us to concentrate on such activities, such as language learning perhaps. Um, and so I'm sort of hoping that by the time travel does recommence, whenever that may be, having some basic communication skills might be helpful for the relationship as well. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to hear about this project and um, I'm sure we will be looking to speak with you further down the track to hear how the project is going. Thank you. Just a reminder, if you're interested in learning more about any of these projects, visit our archives where we have episodes that go into further details. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.